Again, thanks for letting me be here, guys. I really, really am excited to be able to share with you today because there has been some things that have just been brewing in me. And I love when we're able to, you know, just kind of see what God's doing in, in, in serious times and crazy times like this one has been. But last week, if you didn't tune in to last week, I, I urge you to go onto our website and check out the message uh, about reopening again uh, that Pastor Casey gave. He went over Romans 14, and just an amazing, amazing message on how we can respond to people that are in different places than we are in terms of our walk and how we respond in love, compassion, and for building up one another. It was a great message. And in that message, you know, Paul tells us one way that we can demonstrate uh, that is to be mindful uh, of our practices, of our opinions, uh, as, as we don't want to lead anyone into stumbling on their own. And what's so funny about that message to me was it was all about, it was this powerful, packed message that was all about quarreling about food and whether or not we should eat it or not. I mean, it's just crazy that so much can come out of that. Thank goodness t today we don't do that anymore. We don't, we don't quarrel over the food like that. We pretty much quarrel only over toilet paper, right? Am I right? Yeah, that's, that's really where we're at now. Um, but, you know, this was, a, this was a very, very important message as we, as, and it still holds true today. You know, back then it held true for what they were going through that back then, but it holds true today. And the reason why it holds true today is, is we're about to re-enter into life again, it feels like, in a different way. And the reopening of the church is kind of like this symbol for us as, as we, we re-enter. How are we going to respond But, you know, there was something in the, the verses last week, the way that Romans 14 ends, that really had me meditating, had me chewing, and had me soaking in a little bit further. At the end, Paul, you know, he tells us, he mentions that, hey, stop judging people, all right? You're, each one of you is accountable to God. So if one person decides to eat, in honor of God, great. If another person decides not to eat in honor of God, great, because it's in honor of God, okay? And those that recognize that they don't need to pass judgment, they're blessed, is what was basically being shared last week, which was great. But it ends with one verse in 23 that I just think it, it really hit me. It, it hit me different, and I wanted to kind of share a little bit about how I was feeling in that in today's message. In verse 23, he kind of throws in a little bit of a, a challenge. You know, he tells us, this is how we can be. You know, don't judge people. You'll be blessed. But, and he ends with this. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's in Romans 14, 23. You know, Paul, he's great. He, like, he just sneaks that in there, right? He's like, hey, don't worry, guys. This is how you'll handle it. You guys can eat. You don't have to eat. It's not about the meat. Don't worry about it. But more importantly, if you're eating from a place of doubt, then you've got problems that are bigger than whether or not you need to eat that meat. And that really struck with me. That hit me hard. 
Because while he was talking about eating right there, I think Apostle Paul is making it perfectly clear that acting from a place of doubt in just eating, no, in anything, is dangerous. Acting from a place of doubt in anything is dangerous. The Greek word used here in the Romans text is diakrino, which means to be at variance or in disagreement with oneself. (laughs) In essence, to doubt is to disagree with the very design of who God called you to be. (laughs) Ouch. When I heard that and I started reading that, that hit me, man. That hit me hard because I don't know about you. I don't want to be in disagreement with my Abba Father. I'm pretty sure I know he knows what, where I need to be and what I need to do. But sometimes it feels like I don't even know whether or not the actions I'm taking are coming from a place of doubt or not. And how do I know that? And that's what I've been chewing on. Sometimes I feel like the things I'm saying or doing or the choices I make or actions I make are perfectly in line, in alignment with what God would want. But maybe they're not. And how do we tell? And how do we make sure that we're not doing what, what Paul's kind of sharing right now, which is stepping in from a place of doubt? So I wanted to talk today about how we can ditch doubt and how we can faith forward. This COVID situation, you know, it's funny. It, it, I think we all come from a place, of, you know, this, this posture of, hey, we're good. Everything's good until it isn't. You know, there's a, there's a whole a saying that Mike Tyson, famous boxer that many of you might know, that they would always talk to him and say, hey, so what if this opponent of yours comes in and decides to do this? And Mike Tyson once said, you know, everybody got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And so what's interesting to me about that is this COVID thing, it feels like it's punching us in the mouth in weird ways. Many of us feel like, hey, no, this thing is not going to be an issue. We're moving forward. And others are like, well, I don't know. And from it, we're having our conversations, our dialogue, maybe some tension. You know, if you, if you watch anything on, on, on the, the news, you're feeling it already. There's a lot of tension out there. So it's, it's really putting this pressure on us to kind of think about how we're going to go about life. And the COVID situation, I think, is presenting even opportunities, specific opportunities for seeds of doubt to be sown into how we go about life, whether it's about our health or our family's health or whether it's about our social interactions and how we connect or whether it's about our financial, you know, backing and and whether or not we'll be okay or economic uh, situation and whether, you know, the county, the city, the globe, the state, anything is going to be okay. And you start feeling these senses of like, wow, I need to make moves to make sure that that doesn't happen. And we got to be careful because if we're making those moves and those decisions and those actions based on doubt and not in a place of faith, then we're missing the point. We're absolutely missing the point. We must remain vigilant in not allowing these seeds of doubt to be watered and to be rooted into our daily decisions, our daily actions, our daily life. 
you know, and, and this COVID situation specifically for me and the subsequent quarantine that we're going through, it's really stretched me as an individual. Um, and after reading that verse again, it, it, it kind of made me think, what am I doing? Am, am I making the right choices? Am I saying the right things? Am I, am I modeling to my family the right things I should be modeling? And it made me question whether or not I was making those decisions from a place of doubt. And in my soaking this week, in my meditation, in my preparation for even sharing with you guys today, I wanted to really see, like, where I love stories of the Bible. The stories of the Bible, to me, tell us that an ordinary Joe can face the same things I'm facing, and, and maybe God can break through for them. And if maybe God can break through for them, maybe God can break through for me. And so I was kind of meditating, looking through it, and the kind of story that, that God brought me to was the story of, of when God, or when, when Jesus specifically heals the bleeding woman. And it's a, it's a, and it, the, the version of it in, the, in Luke is what I'm really focused on, but, but it's interesting because there's not a lot to that story. It, 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 there's only like six or seven verses that specifically speak to that story. It, it feels like almost like it was just thrown in there amongst Jesus, you know, healing uh, and, and, and releasing demons from, from men or calming storms or other things. And it was just like, oh, and by the way, he healed this other woman as well, as, just on the way as he was going to go um, raise the dead. You know? and, and that's how it kind of felt with this story. And for years, I've always thought of that as like, oh, that's just another miracle that Jesus has done. But as I was meditating on this week, God just revealed more and more and more to me, and I wanted to share that with you today as I was kind of exercising and, and trying to figure out how I can navigate these waters myself, and maybe, just maybe, it might be helpful to you. So if you uh, will allow me, I'm going to be reading from Luke uh, chapter 8, uh, verses 42 through 48, and I, and I want to examine the story a little bit more. Again, there's not much to go off of, and so we're going to have to kind of put ourselves in the, in the position of the woman. Because I, I think that if we were in that position, we might be able to feel or maybe recognize a little bit more of what she might have been going through before her encounter with Jesus. So let me set the stage a little bit, okay? So in Luke 8, you know, Jesus is just, he's doing amazing things at that point already. You know, he's working his miracles. He's telling parables. He's calming storms. He's doing it all. And then he comes to town, and he's greeted by the crowds. And I mean, it's like celebrity status, right? I mean, you know, they're all up on him. They see that he's there. They're, they want to see who this guy is, this Jesus they keep hearing about. And specifically, one man, uh, Jairus, he comes to Jesus, and he's like, hey, Jesus, my, uh, my daughter, she's, she's about 12 years old. She's dying. I, I really could use you right now. And Jesus accepts the invitation, and he's on his way to go see this young lady. And then that, in that moment is when, as he's walking through the crowds to get there, he encounters the bleeding woman. And it's starting in the second half of verse 42, and I'll go ahead and read through the uh, entire passage. It says, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed 
by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. In such a few verses, I feel we have one of the most powerful displays of ditching doubt and proceeding in faith. Even though it's not, you know, in the text specifically, you can see what's about to happen and what's about to transpire as we break it down, that there's an opportunity for doubt to creep in and how this woman addressed that as she went through the process. So let's go ahead and, um, I mean, she had a choice, right? She had a choice, and, and in this situation... She had a decision to make that could potentially have very, very grave consequences for her choice. But she decided to move forward with it. So let's break it down a little bit further and see what's going on in this situation, because maybe it'll let us understand a little bit more about maybe what she was going through. So in verses 42 through 43, it says, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her life on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. We don't know a lot of backstory on this woman, okay? It doesn't tell us a lot about that. But I think if we examine the deeper cultural, uh, societal laws and rituals, health laws that they had at the time, we can better understand what she might be uh, going through prior to her encounter with Jesus. You know, culturally, back then, when, when a woman bled as part of her menstrual cycle, she was deemed unclean for seven days. And anyone or any items, such as what she sat on, or, you know, they would say specifically in Leviticus, leathers that might have been connected to her, if they made contact with uh, her and the discharge as well, they too were considered unclean. And because of that, you know, it, it created a situation for at least a week, she shut down, right? For that town, she shut down. She's on the bench because we can't have her, you know, going around and causing a situation. We have to limit her exposure to others. You know, a quarantine, if you will. You know, it kind of feels like a quarantine. Hey, you're in a situation. You got a situation, go over there and quarantine because you can't, you can't operate with us right now. You know, I want to be clear here real, real quick that this is, a normal, this is a normal process. You know, this happens. The cycles happen. Being unclean doesn't mean you're sinning. A lot of people sometimes will try to confuse that and say, oh, that, you know, that's what's going on. No, no, no. It's a, it's a normal process. Men have their processes too, and they would be deemed unclean if that was the situation. However, culturally, even though being unclean didn't necessarily mean that it was sin, I'm sure that there was people in that time that would in, somehow think about that and say, well, why, why, is, why is that person unclean? What have they done to deserve that? What have they done to get them in a situation where, where they have to now be away? 
And of course, that's not, <laughs> that's not a comfortable place to be, right? No one wants to be, you know, to have that interpreted as such, like, oh, unclean, you must have did something wrong. But I'm sure there were people that felt that way. But the good news is that even though she had her situation, even though she, you know, has to go through her menstrual cycle, after seven days, she's able to get back to life, right? I mean, that, by the law, that's exactly what would happen. She'd, she'd finish up, she'd be clean, boom, we're back in business. Life goes on. Unless, of course, she has an irregular discharge, as this woman had. Then the law has a little bit more prescribed to it. Because obviously, if she's having a regular discharge, she's not able to basically, you know, go by the normal rule because she still has an issue that needs to be addressed. And the health laws at the time, because they were concerned with bloodborne pathogens and other issues, they made sure that this was in place and you had to follow it. So in her situation, because she had an irregular discharge, the rule goes that you have to be clean, not bleeding, for seven consecutive days. And then on that eighth day, you can sacrifice a couple doves and you're back in business, right? So that's great, except for her, she is not experiencing that. For her, she can't seem to see this issue stop. For her, she is never getting to day seven. And if she can't get to day seven, then she's experiencing a completely, dramatically different life than what she set out for. She has this problem. And she's gone to doctors and she's given all of her livelihood, her livings, you know, if she has wages, whatever she can provide to the doctors, and the doctors can't heal her. So she has limited means, no answers to her issues. And she needs to remain in quarantine for seven consecutive days of clean without symptoms. Man, that sounds familiar. You know, it feels like not even like today where we're in our quarantine. We've got we to gotta be able to do that. You know, we've got to see these, this amount of time before we're able to get back to life. Sounds eerily familiar. And what it doesn't outright say in this passage, but you have to think, right? There's got to be some doubts creeping in for this young lady or this woman. There's got to be some doubts creeping in because there's got to be doubts that she's fearing that maybe she'll never get back the health that she once had. Or maybe she's fearing that she'll never have the life that she once knew or the relationship she once kept. Maybe she is thinking, will I ever be able to connect with my family anymore? Will I ever be able to hug someone again? All those thoughts that we would even get, and I've gotten even during this time of quarantine, they've got to be going through her mind. Will I have an, any kind of future after this? Or will I be destined to look out my window and see all the people that don't have to deal with this in life go on without me. That is not a place 
that I'd want to be. And yet, she, there she is. And she's tried. She's tried to invest in making something happen. To get healed, and it hasn't happened. The doubt's got to be creeping in, right? Like I said, it doesn't say it outright, but the doubt's got to be creeping in. If we were in her position, I would not... I'd be worried. I'd be concerned. I'd be, well, maybe this life is not what it was cracked up to be. But then, good news arrives. She hears that this man is coming to town that's been performing miracles and healings, that this Jesus was on his way. And she has to wonder, right, if he is the actual answer to her prayers that she's more than likely been having. Maybe if she could just touch him. But here's an important question you think about, just a natural question that I'm having is, if she's the outcast and she's the one that has to be in her house and can't be around people and everybody else is out and about and they are already in the crowds ready to see Jesus, that means she's going to have to make her way through the crowd to get to Jesus. Would she even be able to do that? What would people think when they realize that this unclean woman has purposefully violated the health laws and exposed them to her uncleanliness. And maybe even, for those that kind of would always line up unclean with, with sin, maybe even sin. Would they call the authorities? Would they just handle it right there with mob justice? What if Jesus can't or won't heal her because of who she is? Uh-oh, here we go again. Doubts. There's an opportunity before her, but there's got to be some doubts. Given the situation, given what she's been dealing with for the last 12 years, there's got to be some doubts. Can I get to Jesus? What will happen if I try to get to Jesus? What will happen to me? What if I, what if I chase after that and, and, and I don't get healed? Now I've touched everyone. What's going to happen to me as a result? Decisions are being made, and there's got to be some questions there. But it's great. Because I think this woman demonstrated that wherever she was in her walk, wherever she was in her life, she had faith that Jesus was going to heal her. And in verse 44, it says that she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. When you proceed in faith, Jesus will meet you where you are. This is interesting. She didn't get to hug him. She didn't get to talk to him. She didn't get to share the whole story about what's going on. Jesus, this is what's going on in my life. I don't know what's going on. I just, I, I need to. All she knew was if she could even touch the hem of his robe, maybe, just maybe, I can be healed. Against all odds. Because remember, the odds were if she has to leave and she has to touch everyone, there's a likelihood that if it doesn't work, She's toast. If it doesn't work, she can have grave consequences placed on her. So she had to proceed in faith. If she allowed any of those doubts to roll in right there, something might have been missed. You could be on the fringes, though, too. I love the word used here in this, this uh, uh, translation. It's ESV. The fringes of his robe. It kind of got me thinking in my head, like, God, Jesus will meet you where you are. You could be on the fringes of just life. She was an outcast. She was on the fringes of life. 
You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be an ordained clergyman. You don't even have to do specific works first. You don't have to earn that opportunity with Jesus. You could barely know him. You could be a heathen at the end of your rope, but if in that moment you decide to proceed in faith that Jesus can save you, that can heal you, then Jesus has plans for you. And they are personal and unique to you as we're about to jump in. So she's healed, right? Verse 44 says she's healed. End of story. No. Not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. He has abundantly more for this woman if she is willing to receive it. Next in the story, it reads this, verse 45. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing up in, uh, in on you. He's basically saying, you know, Peter's saying, come on, everybody's touching you. What, are you. what are you talking about, Jesus? Everybody's touching you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone from me. So like what we were just saying, Peter is confused by Jesus' question here. All the crowds were around him. All the people have been touching him. Like we said, he's kind of like a celebrity, you know, where they're all kind of, wow, you know. But he specifically, in his path headed somewhere, he stops and he says, someone touched me. Who touched me? But this is, this is who Jesus is. This is what I love about Jesus. This guy had just talked to Jairus, right? And Jairus said, hey, I got a, a dying daughter, 12 years old. Can you please go see her? And Jesus is like, on it, and he's on his way. And in normal situations, if I was that situation, I'm like, somebody's talking to me, somebody's touching me, somebody's, it doesn't matter. I'm on a mission, I'm headed that way. Sorry, I, I, I don't have time for you, I, I got something. But Jesus recognizes in that moment that God, the Father, was doing something, and he paused. There was nothing that would get in the way of that opportunity for Jesus to have an encounter with one of his children. Even though he had a mission, even though he had a place to be, he continued on and wanted to step in a little bit deeper. So two things stand out to, that, to me in the, those verses I just shared. First is a word of caution about doubt. Anyone can be in the very presence of truth and miss the opportunity for power and breakthrough. Think about it. There's a bunch of people. They're all in the crowds. They all see Jesus. They've all come to see the spectacle. They've all come to see who he is and what is he about and all this. He's been being brushed by crowds continuously as he's been going through his ministry. But he knew something was different. Power had gone out from him. You know what, I, I read that to say that if he's recognizing power left him in that one experience, even though a bunch of people are touching him, that maybe the rest of them weren't experiencing the power that he had available to them. And it comes back to that, what I just said. Anyone can be in the very presence of truth. Any one of us in this room, anyone out in the virtual world, you could be in the very presence of truth and still miss it miss the opportunity for power and breakthrough to happen in your life because of doubt. Because you doubt that maybe it would, 
it's possible. Maybe, maybe those people, in, and again, I'm, I'm obviously projecting here, I don't know, but maybe those people in, in, in the crowds, maybe they, they had something for Jesus. Maybe they wanted to talk to Jesus. Maybe they had something to share with him, but those doubts started to creep in. Well, maybe he doesn't want to talk to me. Maybe he can't heal me. Maybe I'm just not worthy enough for him to do so. But this woman, who was an outcast, not even a normal townsperson, person that didn't have that issue going on, she thought she was worthy. She thought she was worthy in the sense of, because I need this, and, I need, and he's worthy. Jesus is worthy. And so because of that, I'm willing to, to just let it all go and proceed in faith. And just maybe he can heal me. So that word of caution, anyone can be in the very presence of truth and miss the opportunity. Don't be that person. I, and it, it, that just stuck with me this week because I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person that misses the opportunity when, when Jesus is right before us and, and giving us an opportunity to, to see breakthrough and power, not only in our own lives or to be used to do that in someone else's life. And then secondly from this verse, For the ones who do recognize the opportunity, like the woman, to experience God and proceed in faith, Jesus wants to engage you personally. Think about that. He's walking through the crowds. He stops and he says, who touched me? He's looking to engage someone. He's looking to provide an invitation and maybe a little challenge to someone. Because power had left him and he wanted to take that person to the next level. He wants to engage you personally. And the question is, will the woman take up the invitation? Maybe if he knows what she did, maybe he'll take it away. She just got healed, right, physically. Maybe she's like, well, I don't, I don't want to tell him that. I don't want to tell him that, that I'm the one that touched him. Because maybe he'll take away my heal. I, I, don't, I don't want that. I just got healed. I, I don't want that, right? Maybe the crowds will recognize the situation and become angry or violent with her, and who knows what would happen. Well, of course, I don't want that, you know? I wouldn't want that in the situation either. But if she, and if she doesn't speak up, if she just keeps quiet, maybe she can just tiptoe out of there and just get away with the nice physical healing she just received and and nothing will go wrong. That would be a lot easier. Maybe that's what she's thinking. Uh-oh. Doubts. Again, guys, doubts. When you start letting those opportunities come into play and the doubts start coming through, it's very possible that you might miss the opportunity for more. For more what Jesus has for you. More what the Father wants to do in and through you. I'm feeling that right now because I feel like that's kind of been me in this weird time. But the good news is with her, she's continued in faith. Let's see how this, uh, this encounter ends in verses 47 through 48. It says, And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she, be she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people, why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Wow. 
That's a moment of truth right there, right? That's a moment where she can choose to step into more of Jesus or she can choose to walk away. In this situation, she did. And it proved to be a good choice. But I also like in this that she's sharing and declaring what happened. She shared her testimony, not just to Jesus in that moment, but she declared it before all the people, it says. And a lot of times we think of testimonies as like this, oh, this is what I share because this happened. I think there's more to it. Declarations and testimonies of God's goodness are not just simply a byproduct of our proceeding in faith, but they're part of the process of deliverance to see the breakthrough. We have to share it. It's important. Because let's be honest, her actions, they were risky. They were some seriously risky actions, what she was doing. Being unclean, she's not to engage with the clean and risk infecting others. She knew that she had one shot to encounter Jesus, and he came through town. She knew that she'd be violating all the cultural and social and health laws of the land as she ran through the crowds, touching them in masses, breaking through all the crowds, bumping elbows and shoulders just so that she can reach the hem of his robe. She knew that everything she was doing was risky. She knew that the possibility of her actions could lead to some very grave consequences. The thing I would fear the most if I was in that situation was not necessarily the laws. I guess the laws could be an issue. But I'd be fearful of the people in that crowd. The people in that crowd that recognize that she just did something to them. And now they are going to take justice on her. And that's a risk. That's a huge risk. If she was wrong about Jesus, then that could be the end of her. Right then and there, if she was wrong. But if she was right, if she was right, and this Jesus character could heal her, her life would be renewed in complete abundance. If she had any doubt and decided not to rush those crowds for a chance to even touch the hem of his robe, she may never experience the breakthrough that was available to her. But she proceeded in faith. She ditched all those doubts and she proceeded in faith. You see, when you take a leap of faith with Jesus, a few things happen. Number one, he affirms you as belonging. You see, in this story, the hemorrhaging, the bleeding, was only an outward physical issue that the woman was dealing with for the past 12 years. The truth is, for the past 12 years, she was a bona fide outcast of society. She was on the fringes of society. I'm sure her town, again, was well aware of what she was to the town. Oh, it's that woman. It's the woman with the problem. It's the unclean one. Stay away from her. She's an outcast. Don't, don't hang around her. It might, it might end up falling on you, too. You might be saddled with issues. You might be saddled with the sin that might be attached to that. She was a bona fide outcast. 
But I'm sure, I, I'm sure she was in a place where she didn't have an identity. She, she, she probably felt like, where am I in this whole thing? Who am I in this whole thing? But it was great because in those last verses there, Jesus gave her an identity. He gave her one by referring to her with the endearing term of daughter. He told her, daughter. So he's not just saying, you don't just belong, but you're also my beloved. He's given her a reason to feel as if she's not just some outcast, but that she's a part of something. Obviously, his royal family. When you take a leap of faith in Jesus, too, he also delivers you. We heard earlier, you know, a couple uh, messages back, Casey talked about sozo and, and how that's a holistic healing. It's not just a physical outward healing, but it could be uh, spiritual and, and mental, and, and it's holistic. It covers it all. It's deliverance from whatever is going on. And then also, and I think this is one of the key parts I love of this, is he says at the end of this, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. That's what she's really needing. Because for the last 12 years, I'm sure she hasn't had much of any peace, if anything. If anything, she's probably been just stirred up with just questions about life. And he's finally given her because she was willing to step in a little bit further what she really needed, which was peace. She needed peace, shalom. She needed to know that he was there and that he was giving her something to replace any doubts. But the question is this. That's a great story. I'm glad she was able to ditch those doubts. I'm glad she was able to move forward. And I'm glad that she was able to experience sozo. But back to today, back to my doubts, back to how I handle those, how do I tell? How do I tell if the questions or the decisions and the actions I'm making are from a posture or a place of doubt or from a posture or a place of faith? Because sometimes, I'll be honest with you, it feels like they're blurry. It, it, there's like a blurred line. Like sometimes I feel like, no, this is totally the way. This is the way. For all you Mandalorians out there. Uh, this is the way. But then it, it doesn't line up well. It feels like there's some kind of, it just doesn't feel right. Even though I feel like that's, that's the way, it doesn't feel right. So how can we go about better recognizing it? How can, we, how can we go through and understand whether or not it's from a place of doubt or a place of faith? And this is what we think. We can better recognize where our actions come from when we consider the fruit that influences or is produced from the actions chosen. Consider the fruit. As believers, we all bear fruit. Well, what kind of fruit is the real question. What fruit are we bearing? What fruit are we producing? And if we consider the fruit in this situation, we might have a better handle or grasp as to whether or not we are operating from a place of doubt or a place of faith. And I want to uh, jump into uh, the fruits of the Spirit so we, we understand that. And you'll find that in Galatians uh, 5, 16. And then we're going to jump over to the actual um, 
fruits in 22:23. It says in 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then jump over to 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and in 23, gentleness, self-control. You see, the Spirit's job is to direct us to the truths of Jesus. In doing so, he also brings about the fruit that resembles the life of Jesus. Apostle Paul tells us that in his letter to the Galatians that those who walk by the Spirit they experience the fruit of the Spirit, which is the love, joy, peace, you know, go forth. So if we think about this, if we examine, consider the fruits that are born out of our actions, our decision-making, what we share, what we say, we might get a better handle on how we can ditch the doubt. And I'm going to share an example of that from my own life. Within this time of quarantine, there's a lot of people that I've had to encounter, whether it's at work, at home, uh, uh, here at church, with the church life, and we're all at differing places. And I that's why I love so much the message that Casey shared last week, because we have to be able to navigate those waters well so that we can share in love, compassion, and the building up of one another. But there was a couple decisions that I've made in the last few weeks that as I look back on them now, I really feel they came from some strange place of doubt. And I see it clearly now, but I didn't see it then. And what I mean by that is, without going into the, the, the specifics of the, the um, choices I made, it was more about, well, I'm going to make this choice because I want to be able to consider the, the feelings of this other person and, and protect what their concerns are. But the way I was making them, whether I was right or not, were not postured in a place of faith in Jesus and who he is and, and who God has created me to be, but in a place of, well, I want to control that situation because I don't want it to get out of hand, because I don't want to have a situation that will, will create a tension or a rift between us, so let me, let me uh, handle it this way. But then what's funny about it is after I considered the fruit that it bore, I realized that it was not the way I should have went about you know, doing it because what was happening afterwards was I wasn't experiencing joy, I wasn't experiencing peace, I wasn't experiencing any patience. As a matter of fact, what was coming out of me was bitterness, anger, I was frustrated, I I mean, on the brink of, man, rage, I felt like. I was so upset. And I didn't know who to blame it on. I didn't know how to blame it on the, the, the you know, disease itself, the, the, the uh, leaders of, of, our, of our counties and cities and uh, states and nations. I didn't know. Did I blame it on the people who were just scared or in a different place than me? I didn't know where to blame it, but I was trying to blame it on something. And I was bitter. And from it, I was making actions and, and taking and, and, making choices and taking actions in ways that I shouldn't have. I was alienating myself from the very people I love because I was so upset at the situation. But really, what I was upset at was with me. And what I was upset at was what I was 
was, was the way I was operating. See, I, I could have shepherded those people and modeled to those people something better. Maybe the, maybe the approach would be different and the outcome would still be as valuable, but I wouldn't have been operating from a place and, and taking action from a place of, of doubt and therefore from it bearing fruit that was just stinky, bearing fruit that just made me feel icky. Now I get that. Now I see that. And what it's helped as I've been going through this is kind of re-exercising and realizing that if I'm not coming from a posture of faith and proceeding with faith as I make these decisions, then I'm not going to see the peace, the joy, the gentleness, the kindness that follows it. And now I might know the difference. If I'm feeling this way as a result of my actions, then I'm probably feeling like I made it from doubt. If I'm feeling the peace, if I'm feeling the joy, if I'm feeling the kindness, the gentleness, then maybe I made it from a posture of faith. So consider the fruit. If you're having trouble thinking about the, the choices you're making, or even if you're not having trouble, you're just thinking, yeah, this is, this is definitely the right choice. Maybe you should still check it. Consider the fruit. After you made that choice or that decision or that action or in, in a conversation with somebody, as you're engaging them, what were you feeling? Were you feeling the fruits of the Spirit? Were you not? And so what I just share right now is, is kind of like a call to all of us, right? It's a challenge to me, but I'm going to express that challenge to you guys as well. As we go back and, and re-enter, reopen our lives on Pentecost Sunday here at church, as, as you go this week, I ask that you pray for that opening. But I ask that we, we challenge ourselves to not allow the circumstances of this life right now to let us fall into disagreement with our Heavenly Father about who he has called us to be. And in doing so, we'll have to consider the fruit that comes from it. So I'm challenging me and I'm challenging you, our Elevation family, to consider the fruit in your decision-making, in your discussions, in your conversations, so that we can ditch doubts and proceed in faith together. Let us pray. Father God, I just thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to share my heart. Obviously, Lord, you put it here and you put a fire in my belly for this, Lord. So I thank you for the opportunity to share, but I, I thank you, Lord. I thank you so much for who you are in my life because I was spiraling, Lord. And you came in and you intervened and you wanted to have a personal interaction with me. And you wanted to help me get through that. So I thank you, Lord, and I forgive me. Forgive me for even ever doubting, Lord. Forgive me for that. I should have known. But I thank you, Lord, for helping me understand what I can do in considering the fruit that I bear as a way of recognizing where, I, where I'm postured, whether I'm coming from a posture of doubt or a posture of faith. I pray, Lord, for our congregation. I pray that they, too, would recognize their posture. I pray, Lord, that in their decision-making, in their conversations, in their actions, Lord, that they would consider the fruit that they're bearing and use that as a way to recognize whether or not the choices they're making are in alignment with your heart, your character, 
your passion. I pray, Lord, as we go this week in preparation for opening on Pentecost Sunday, that you would just provide peace, strength, guidance, wisdom to Pastor Casey and Don, that they would, that they would uh, just be so overwhelmed with your peace and your, your gentleness, your kindness, Lord, that, that when they go through their decision-making, there will be nothing that's of doubt, that they will know that those decisions were from you. I thank you, Lord, for this congregation, and I can't wait. I can't wait till we get to be together once again. So I thank you, Lord, and I ask these things in your son's mighty name. Amen. Dance like David